Hey all, and welcome to another week of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. It's been a massive, massive week. How are you, Everald? Oh, I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. And actually, I feel younger every time we have a yard. I feel a bit younger. So you keep talking to me now. Now, what, there's a few things we can hit today. So what are we going to hit first? You tell me. Um, I think the biggest story of the week has been the um, fabled AUKUS Treaty, which will, um, according to the powers that be, guarantee defence, security and prosperity in the Pacific, um, which is a lie, <laughs> straight out. It's, <laughs> the greatest, it's the greatest piece of nonsense I have read in a long, long time and a total betrayal of everything it stands. It shows that you can't trust Australia you can sign billion-dollar contracts to build submarines and Australia will walk away. The world now knows that a contract with Australia for anything is worthless anyway. You, you go on, James. I'll just um, get up. Just um, something that w- one of my less uh, powerful grievances on that, um, because I have a lot of grievances about this, but something interesting I heard um, only just yesterday, actually, was that geographically speaking, France is technically like the third closest country to Australia because yeah. of New Caledonia. Um, so we've got obviously like New Zealand and Papua New Guinea and that. And then it's France. Um, yeah, because of New Caledonia. And I didn't realise that. I didn't realise sort of how um, important in some ways an ally France was to Australia. So well, to France, see us stick the nose France, up. France only missed out on getting to Australia a few days behind Governor Phillip, if the, the winds had been blown in a different way, we would have been a French colony, but carry on. <laughs> um, I think um, China's um, foreign spokesman guy, Zhao Li Zhan, he said that this um, is dangerous, it is bad for denuclearization commitments, and it'll ratchet up tensions in the region. And whatever agenda one thinks he may have behind that, I mean, every country has an agenda. But he's entirely right. Like, I can't fault that criticism at all. Um, it's real Cold War mentality from our government, which is Scott Morrison's favourite thing to do whenever his party's taken on water. Let's do something to appeal to the nationalists and get the scandals out of the headline and get everyone rallying behind the flag and stuff. It's so blatantly obvious. Um, I think what annoys me the most is um, in that little speech press conference thing, he was banging on about how free a country we were and how we pride ourselves on our great democratic values and whatnot. Now, the um, the 103 people we have locked up on Nauru, I don't think they consider us a very free country. Um, the family of David Dunga, uh, the Indigenous man who was killed in police custody, you know, I, I don't think his family considers us a very free country. Um, I, we're a relatively free country compared to many other countries in the world, but to stand there and wax about how we're the, the beacon of freedom in the Pacific, even though the UN Human Rights Commission has decried the fact that we lock up brown people on offshore prison islands merely for wanting to come to this country, is so hypocritical. Um, it's well, 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 I, well, I agree with that, James. Uh, I don't think that's the prime issue. First of all, I agree with what you said, but that's not the prime issue. The prime issue is how does Australia look at our future. Now, we've decided we've got a problem with China, and I think we've done more to create the problem with China than China has with us. Agreed. China is a nation we have to come to terms with without in any way bowing and begging to them. But instead of lining up with the US and the UK and saying we're going to, you know, China sort of has a go at us at their peril, 
Well, first of all, I don't think that the USA and UK would step in to stop us anyway. They'd find, they'd find some excuse. The fact is we should establish some sort of relationship with China where we have a council that meets regularly to sort out all the problems we have with China without giving in and bowing down, but saying, let's have a relationship where we negotiate everything. We try and have trade. We don't threaten one another. We do things. China has now got every right to think, well, we're the enemy. We've tied up with UK, US and UK. And we've forgotten that we live in this part of the world. And the sensible thing to do would have been to say to Indonesia and India, our two biggest neighbours in the Southern Hemisphere, can we have an agreement? China would find that natural for India. India and Australia to have an agreement. They can't see any point in the UK and USA having anything to do with our part of the region. So I think we've made an enormous blunder. How do you feel? Well, I agree completely there. And I mean, I agree with your point entirely that we that a council-based diplomatic relationship with China is the peaceful way forward. And I mean, we've talked a couple of times in our past two podcasts about sort of like a South Pacific alliance. And that's like a, but a trade alliance, not a big military guns, drums of war alliance, a trade alliance, a peace alliance, a prosperity alliance. Um, and that's, alliance, education alliance. Oh. Exactly. A whole, a, whole, a whole range of issues. But, you, you know, the other thing is, too, the stupidity of it. Presidency sees this thing signed, and Peter Dutton thinks that Presidency is sitting there in Beijing, shaking in his boots because of this treaty. Now, he could, if he decided right now, to say, I'm going to take James Morgan's house out in the Blue Mountains right now. He press a button in Beijing and say, He's got rockets that are that accurate. He could lob a rocket in the next five minutes of Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, Dallas, and, and over our capital and take them all out before Peter Dutton could pick up the phone and ring America and UK, <laughs> who would run like hell if that happened. So the whole thing is so naive. You know, if your kindergarten class at school came up with this thing, you'd put the kids in the naughty corner and leave them there for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Stupid, isn't it? I, I completely agree. I mean, we're, we're not helping ourselves whatsoever. As you've said, I think the quote-unquote conflicts Australia and China are having right now um, largely fall at our feet, largely due to a government who's decided, oh, well, we can squeeze a lot of votes out of making an enemy out of China. Um, it's terrible for the region long-term. It's terrible for safety and security in the region. Um, and... I think that we both agree that a, a diplomatic relationship with China is the way forward. The other thing that concerns me is that um, Scott Morrison's selling this as sticking up for Australia's strategic and defence interests. It's not that. We're turning ourselves into an American client state. We're sticking up for American strategic and defence interests by doing this. All we're doing with this deal is giving America a greater presence in the Pacific so they can monitor the going-ons of their Pacific empire. Um, They've proved utterly unreliable too. I mean, if our deal with the Yanks is as good as the deal the Afghanistan's had with the Yanks, <laughs> you know, we should be real worried about dealing with the Yanks. You know, and secondly, the American nation is in so much internal trouble. I, I think this whole thing is, uh, uh, you know, worthless. And way behind it all is not the security of the region, but the defense establishment in America, which takes mm -hmm. billions of dollars more every year, is worried like hell that. 
if the world gets peaceful, they won't make the profits they do out of guns. So they've got to keep this aggression going to keep yeah. the profits out of their And they, these are the guys we've got in the bed with, incredibly dumb, you know? Well, you're entirely right. Um, my uh, uh, acquaintance of mine who um, is a very incredible independent journalist, Marcus Rubenstein, he has on his APAC news website regularly um, loaded up on ASPE, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, noting that they're funded by all these US weapons manufacturers, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and all that. Um, and when this AUKUS thing was announced, who's the first person, the, the first and only person the ABC has on to discuss the initiative? It is the director of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, um, the think tank funded by the US weapons manufacturers. And he says it's a great thing. And, oh, gee, I wonder why the guy who runs the think tank funded by U.S. weapons manufacturers thinks a deal with U.S. weapons manufacturers is a great thing. Hmm. Yeah, and, that, hmm. and that, the whole thing is disgraceful. And you and I will keep watching this as it develops or as it, uh, you know, uh, 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 unravels. But there's two more things I want to do before a half hour runs out this morning. And... <clears throat> I'd just like to talk about the voluntary assistance mm. dying legend. And then before we get off the air, we've got to take a swipe at Porter, the uh, Christian Porter, who deserves about half a dozen swipes. But anyway, we'll, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll come to him. But this week, voluntary assisted dying legislation went through Queensland by a, a, a very a, almost a landslide vote of 60 to 29 with a few people abstaining at the end but, but that, and when you think that Victoria only got it through by one or two votes and West Australia only got it through by one or two votes, we're not skiting. What I'm saying is that it has now become, they pioneered the thing, it has now become something whose time has come and I want to talk about why Gladys in New South Wales is not moving on it because that uh, uh, you say, well, now the only state that hasn't got a couple of territories we have to uh, you know, help as well. But in Queensland, we got a coalition together a few years ago of organisations that wanted this to happen from doctors and nurses and trade unions and some people from churches like myself, although churches were officially against it. And, uh, we, we, we got together a very considerable uh, alliance and we talked to all the political parties incessantly to get sufficient of them on side that something would happen. Then finally, Anastasia decided it was on, and we held two years of hearings, drawing up of, of, of uh, the, the, the act to, to handle it, uh, working out how it would operate, when it would operate, uh, getting further hearings about what we decided, that, that then it came to a vote. And our team, and I'm not saying anything brilliant, we were just determined, we personally contacted by telephone or face-to-face, -face, if we couldn't get them by text messages and whatever, with every one of the 93 members of that parliament to get a commitment for them uh, to go ahead. And, and, and we did that several times. And we went out of our way to try and understand the opposition and try and discuss without abusing them you know, what happened now, I said on ABC radio on Monday when they interviewed me about it, they said, what do you think the vote will be? And I said, I think we'll get 60 votes. Now, that wasn't a stab in the dark. I had a bit of paper in front of me that had the list of 60 guys, people. 
who said to us they'd vote yet, and they stuck, you know, all the way through. And what was good about it is, except for one or two lunatics uh, on the far right who ranted and raved, it was a very respectful debate in the parliament. And at the end of it, I had just as many conservative folks come up and, and pat me on the back, which was very nice. I didn't deserve it. But I had just as many of them come up as I had ALP people. So we, we were not divisive in the whole issue, and it's, it's now going to happen now. Why, in your opinion, is New South Wales the last state to face up to this, James? That's um, that's a hard question. Um, it's uh, full <clears throat> full disclosure. It's not. Um, I know it's it's one of your the issues closest to your heart, and I suppose probably just as a function of being a young person, it's not something I've thought about as much um, as some people who are in the medical profession or who are uh, more experienced than me. I'd say taking some stab in the dark reasons. Um, there is a very strong plurality, strong and powerful plurality um, in liberal parties across, um, not necessarily in Queensland because the religious right in Queensland is more, um, you know, loud and proud. But there's a, a very strong Hillsong element um, in the New South Wales Liberal Party. Um, obviously, Scott Morrison, our Prime Minister, is big into Hillsong and he has... Um, in his um, cabinet, like the Hillsong um, Presbyterian Evangelical Prayer Group sort of um, faction. Pentecostal Church, which is mm. part of the growing church in Australia. It's still small and it can grow real fast and it'll still be small. Mm. But, you know, it, 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 that's an element. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you think that's the reason why it's not happening? Well, it, I think it's one of them because you, you, you rightly point out they're small, but it seems to me having... Um, Looked at. I remember the ABC did an article, uh, the SMH, sorry, did an article a while back, breaking down um, the factions in both the Labor and the Liberal parties. And I remember being struck by how many Pentecostals there were in the Liberal Party. Not because I have anything against Pentecostals, just because I thought, you know, like, like you say, it's not a massive uh, religion yet, and yet um, in the LNP there's quite a few. Um, Gladys was also very slow, like we were the last state to legalize abortion. Um, we only did so last year. Um, so I, I don't know if that's because of um, sort of conservative lobby groups, um, whether it be because of you know, where the money comes from. Um, but Gladys was very slow to act on abortion. And um, indeed, last year, while we were legalising abortion, they sort of did the will we, won't we um, in out dance um, through that process too. Well, so I think part of the problem with Gladys is that she's got to watch it back all the time. She's not sure she's got a majority in the place. I used to like Gladys as a person who I thought was trying hard. I've gradually worked away from that uh, uh, opinion. And I don't think Gladys has the leadership ability to carry this through the way Anastasia did in Queensland, the way Marshall did in South Australia. Liberal, two liberal states, South Australia, Tasmania beat Queensland to the punch, and they got decent majority doing it. And what Gladys has forgotten, and, and the blokes you're talking about in New South Wales is what's known as the Christian right. And they have the Christian right said they're going to take over the Liberal Party so that it becomes the party of God. Well, I think it will become the party that's godless, you know, if, if those guys, uh, those guys get, get, get hold of it. And they, they've got an a, a, a influence far beyond. But if Gladys is a genuine Liberal, if those guys in New South Wales are, 
general liberals, they'll go back and listen to the speech that Robert Menzies made in 1943. Now, I can quote it because I was sitting with my father in front of one of those big old Bush radios listening to Menzies saying he'd formed this new party out of all the old conservative parties he piled together, and he called it the Liberal Party. He said, I'm calling it a Liberal Party because we are not conservative. It's the country party that's conservative, and the ALP is to the left, and I'm in the centre. We're a Liberal Party. And he said, the fundamental thing in our party is that we stand for people having a right of choice. And I remember that vividly sitting in front, the right of choice. Now, all the voluntary assisted dying legislation does, it doesn't say you can start mass killing people. It says that a person with a terminal illness has got a choice between lying in bed and dying slowly and having palliative care, or you decide, no, I want out, my life is over, I want voluntary assisted dying. And so you make a choice. Now, if the Liberal Party in New South Wales doesn't honour what Menzies said, and all we do is they give people a choice, well, then they should go out of existence and let some party form that might do it. Now, I don't think you're ever going to join the Liberals in New South Wales, James, but what do you think of this whole right of choice business that they're denying? Um, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's all out like that hypocrisy in terms of freedoms, choices in conservative parties is something you can see all around the world. I think um, here it's not as bad as the US where, you know, the Republican Party says it's our right to choose not to wear a mask. It's our right to choose not to get vaccinated. But women can't choose to have abortions. If they do that, they should be put to death. Um, you know, that's probably the most extreme hypocritical example. But we have factions like that here too. Um, you look at people like the, the Liberals assert that they're the party of small government, um, the party of freedom, you know, the party who leaves people to their own devices and doesn't intervene. And yet every day, Peter Dutton is finding new and improved ways to spy on us, <laughs> to watch us, to evade our lives. Um, uh, the, like Craig Kelly, another example. I mean, one thing I'll say about freedom, and I don't know which um, philosophical model of freedom this is, but one important element of choice, for example, is having choices. Um, because without choices, you can't make a choice. So to me, for example, um, something like raising the unemployment rate to the poverty line is something that fosters free choice. Because if someone has to live on $43 a day, they have no choices in how to live their life. Um, there are they can eat rice and beans and hopefully be able to put food on the table for their kid. You know, that that's not a life of choice. Um, so a, a party that, like the LNP, for example, um, tries to keep the unemployed down for me, again, from a philosophical point of view, is very anti-choice because it's not giving people the ability to self-determine the way they live their lives. So. Well, well it, it, Menzies' speech in 1943 went on after he saying with a party choice to say that you can only have a nation where people have a choice if you have a nation which accepts responsibility for everyone else in the nation, that you can only have freedom of choice if you have an acceptance of responsibilities that go with that choice. And if I choose to not to wear a mask, well, then I'm not being responsible because I'm passing that on to somebody else. And so you say to yourself, I want freedom, but there are certain things I must do 
for society, which is a matter of us making up our minds. But Menzies made a clear point that freedom of choice came with the exercise of responsibility. And again, I think this whole issue of voluntary service covers both. We have a responsibility uh, to let people have the sort of death that they believe is acceptable to their life and that they want to happen. And if in those circumstances they want to end their life, that's it. So I intend Andrew Denton, my friend in New South Wales, Australia's greatest advocate of monetary assistance, I happen to live in New South Wales, and he worked in a partnership with me in Queensland on voluntary assistance dying. And he said, find me just after the vote to say, now we'll need your help in New South Wales. Now, I certainly will because it's ridiculous that the biggest state in Australia has the most primitive aspect of, uh, of this. But now, time's marching on and we'll get after Gladys. I really expect you to keep getting after Gladys about voluntary assistance dying. You're, you don't realise it now, James, but you're part of my team in getting this into New South Wales. But now, let, let's have a swipe at Christian Porter. <laughs> His whole behaviour, swipe's not the right word. We're going to tell this guy one or two home truths. I mean, the way in which he's handled this whole issue right from the, the time of the rape charges against him from years and years ago, right through the whole way, uh, you know, in which he, uh, you know, he uh, carried on has been absolutely uh, disgraceful. And then having run up legal bills, he then gets an anonymous donor to pay his bills and pretend he doesn't know who he is because he's in a blind trust. Of course he knows who he is, you know, and, and, and that breaches every bit of integrity and responsibility. Now, if Morrison leaves him in Parliament, and, and I see he's done nothing about it, he should have fired him this week. If Morrison leaves him in Parliament, that's an enormous breach of personal integrity. And I hope that the voters of Pierce, that's the electorate that he's in. And by the way, Pierce was one of the founding fathers that I wrote a book about, but he's a member for, uh, you, know, you know, I hope the voters of Pierce toss him out in one of the greatest landslide defeats of any politician, because this guy does not deserve to be in power. Now, I hope he's listening to this podcast, <laughs> and he sues me. That, that'll make our podcast very popular if he does, young people. So <laughs> let's listen to this bloke who's being sued by Porter. Uh, what, what, what's your view? Um, well, look, the trust law is interesting. I don't profess to be an expert, but um, Christian Porter received this million-dollar donation from the Blind Trust, um, says he doesn't know who the trustees were, who the, the donors were. Um, that's technically possible. Um, I, I, don't buy, I don't buy it personally, but it, it is possible. Um Danny Black in Australia, he buys that idea as Porter. The other mm. $1,999,999.9. Yep. I think that's bullshit. A, a beneficiary under a trust does have the right to request trust documents, um, I request accounting records and whatnot of the trust. So it's the sort of thing that if he wanted to find out, he could, he could probably try. Um, this like again, I, I don't buy the fact that he doesn't know who it was. But in theory, say he is telling the truth there. If he wanted to find out, he could take steps to do so. He, it's not like he's just bound now to sit there and say, "Well, I don't know who this came from, and we're never going to find out." So let's ignore it, everyone. 
That's not he, how it works. <laughs> he, he will know, James. Oh, yeah, no, I, I completely if, agree. If I was in this situation and my accountant rang me up and said, look, we've set up a blind trust to give you a million dollars with one bloke who's put it in, I'd sit down at my desk and say to myself, what silly bugger do I know? <laughs> it would give me a million money. He's not buying an ice cream, you know. <laughs> which bloke do I know? It would take yeah. me two minutes to work out which of my mates were silly enough to give me a million dollars. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree. The other option is it might be like a, a consortium sort of thing. So yeah. it, it may be sort of like a group of people, maybe like, for example, a group of LNP party donors who've all gotten together um, and have this trust or a group of, you know, shady billionaires who, um, shady mining billionaires who want to stay in power, for it example. Be, I don't think it could be, but I don't think so, mate. I think any great benefactor of the LNP know that Morrison's got a big fight on his hands in a few months and that million dollars would be better spent saving Morrison, you know, than saving Pitt. All I want to say in this, we're wind up in a minute because we're going to talk about what we're going to do next uh, yeah you know, next week, but I intend to find some people in the seat of Pierce where he is, good independent people who will stack up a good independent candidate against this bloke. And, and we appeal all over Australia for people to money, with money to come in and help remove this blot of democracy from the parliament, uh, you know, of Australia. And I, I think we're doing a singular public service in the matter. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, well, I mean, I I endorse any Labor candidate runs against him being a member of the Labor Party myself. I'd be conflicted to do anything otherwise. Um, but I, I, I do agree it's best for the country if he gets kicked out, if he gets turfed out. One other thing on the Porter story. Um, immediately after this news broke of Porter receiving the million-dollar blind trust donation, and again, I think we both agree he probably knows who it's from and that he's telling Porkies, but as soon as the news broke that um, he received it, Scott Morrison said, ah, I'll have to ask some advice to see if this is, if this is not okay. You don't, well, you don't need to seek advice. advice to know that's not okay. Yeah, yeah look, look uh, 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 Drunk and Freddie down the pub, that <laughs> is not right. And, and, you know, anyway, uh, it's not worth wasting fresh air on this break. Now, next, uh, next week we need to... Uh, move into, uh, you know, heavy things. And I think we should talk about how Australian borders might open, uh, you know, with COVID. Where, where's COVID going now? It's not my favourite subject, but we're entering into a phase now where I'm, I'm not sure it's going to go away in a hurry, but I would like to get back to living some sort of normality in life. And I think we, we need to have a look at what is the post-COVID future or mightn't even be post-COVID, what is the future with COVID? And I think that's an important thing, uh, you know, for us to do. And I think we should also have a chat about when will Morrison call the federal election? You've got to hold it by next May. Now, I want you to think hard next week, uh, James. If you were Morrison, when yes. we go to the polls, would you go now? Would you go just before Christmas, just after Christmas? Your deadline's May, so you... You've got to have all the votes counted before you run out. So you'd have to go early April and have all, all the preferences counted and declared before May. Now, now uh, and so I want to find out if you were Morrison, when would you go? And, uh, and, and then we'll have a little chat about who might win this election. I think it's time for us to start getting into election mode. What do you reckon? 
sounds good. I mean, I think the one thing this week, Joe, um, the three things we've talked about this week was stuff that, um, you know, all happened bang, bang, bang during the week. So I'll say tentatively we'll talk about that stuff next week, but we never know what massive news stories will come across the horizon in the interview. You're trying to tell me that our beloved Prime Minister might put his foot in it during the week and you want to change all the world. I'll happily change tune in that, James. And look, it's been good to chat to you this morning, and I, I think we're getting more and more listeners every week, and we're getting more and more. And I think the generation gap where we're looking at the, the future of Australia depends on blokes like you going forward and fellas like me getting together with you, and we both help one another. And anyway, I think we can help form public opinion here. But uh, good to chat to you, and we'll look forward to next week, James. And as always, Ev, talk soon. Talk. Yeah, for now. Yeah.